Hello and welcome to Keanu Club. Like a cool breeze over the mountains, this is episode 56, The Lake House from 2006. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And back with us today, we have the host of the Now and Again podcast, Chris Mattiello. Hello, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here for once, I guess. You haven't been here since The Watcher. Yeah, Before exactly. that was Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Yeah. Before that was Point Break. So, I mean, this is, it's a long time coming to get to something that's not absolute garbage, but this is not a great movie. Did I do you... a Draculia with you guys? Yes, you did. Yeah, yes, okay. you sang Dracula. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I sang Dracula multiple times now, I think. You did do Dracula, but you didn't sing. Why did you? When did you sing Dracula? What, I sang oh, Dracula what movie? for The Watcher. But yeah, um, yeah, the last two Keanu movies uh, were kind of poop. It's weird that this was a rebound because it's not great. This is not a rebound for me. I don't know about Mike, but we were on a little bit of a roll in terms of Constantine and the Scanner Darkly back to back. And, uh, you know, Thumbsucker before that wasn't terrible. I mean, it wasn't great. But this is just yet another Keanu movie that, to use Tobin's parlance from Something's Gotta Give, is not made for me, number one, but just doesn't feel like it's not a movie that I want to watch. Yeah, it feels like just as we were picking up steam, we get we sort of hit another roadblock. I had high hopes for this. I had not seen it. We get the Sandra Bullock Keanu speed reunion that I've really been waiting many movies for. It's science fiction to a degree, time travel involved in a way. I mean, this had all of the marks of a movie I should enjoy, except for the the big red mark, which is romantic comedy. Not well, which is romantic drama. I mean, this is just straight up a very schmaltzy romance, you know, by design, try to make uh, make you tear up, make you feel good. You know, if you've had a bad day, you watch this movie and make it all better kind of thing. I just, I was sort of uh, not really enjoying this one so much. We get the long-awaited, like you said, Sandra Bullock, Keanu reunion. There's a bus involved in a big way in this movie. The dog is named Jack after his character in Speed. Uh, Sandra Bullock apparently named the dog in the movie, so she's like, I just had to name him Jack. Like, I don't know what else I could have named him. There's this Speed reunion that, like, kind of nobody asked for, and, you know, if you love them in that movie, and you should, they're not the same people here. Like, Sandy's kind of the same. Keanu is a totally different guy, and this is like a, oh, boy. Wait, wait, they're not the same? This isn't doing, like, what Highlander did and using time travel to retcon out the second movie? (laughs) This isn't the third Speed movie? I got so confused when the bus showed up. It would have been amazing if this was canon and somehow was course correcting the speed mythology in some way, weird way or another. No, but this felt more like City of Angels at times to me with like her being a doctor and him being like sort of the image of a perfect guy and everything. Oh, one thing, the only other person in this movie, aside from Sandra Bullock returning, is this guy Mike Baccarella. I don't know who he was in this, but he was also in another movie Chris did, The Watcher. But I clicked on The Watcher, and he is uncredited and unconfirmed in that film. So I'm not sure if exactly he's returning, but this is yet another movie where, aside from Sandra Bullock, Keanu would never work with any of these people again, which is a weird thing. As I was looking this up, because we looked it up every time for Cage, and Cage had a lot of crossover, especially toward the end when he was doing a lot of, like, straight home video movies in New Orleans because it's all the same kind of actors down there. But I mean, even before that, you would have the bigger names like Buscemi in a few movies or John Goodman was in a few movies, right? And like here, it's it's just not happening, which is strange, I feel. Like it's almost like he wants to just keep going on setting these like new paths, but he keeps falling into these 
not cliches, but like these straight up romance movies, these rom-droms without like a hint of comedy. And again, we were talking about it a couple episodes ago. Like I want rom-com Keanu and we're just not going to get it. And I think we also discussed that romance turned out to be one of his sort of surprise genres really? while we were doing this, right? Like, we didn't realize we'd come across, like, he didn't, like you said, do romantic comedies. He does straight-up drama, romance, sappy-type, like, soap opera, real schmaltzy stuff from where I'm observing. So, yeah, we're right there in the thick of it again this time around. I was fucking shocked that this was not, like, based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. It is based on some foreign movie, though, right? So it was based on a foreign film called Il Mare, which is a Korean movie. But there was a James Patterson book, I think, called The Lake House, which has nothing to do with this. Yeah, James Patterson's a crime guy, so uh, we probably could have used some of that. I just equate them because my mom reads both James Patterson and Nicholas Sparks, so they both target that mom demographic. So in my mind, they're the same guy, oh, but yeah. maybe not. They're airport novel as hell, but like, I'm shocked that you're saying that like romance... Are you saying that romance was one of his surprise genres, like it exists, or that he's good? in it because I feel like no not that he's good in it because I don't think he's good in it that he's done a bunch yeah that is a a bunch of movies that I wasn't expecting Keanu to really dig his teeth into like he does a lot of romance I feel like he's got to be gritty action guy or he's got to be like surfer dude or he's got to be completely blank slate human we, we all love Keanu but he's not he doesn't have the biggest range I guess I would say yeah, and I can understand why they'd want to cast him in romantic movies because, you know, apparently, like, he's a super attractive guy, right? But I feel like that's from his action image. Like, when he's not sort of saving the day or running for his life, I don't know, like, is is he as desirable to people when they're watching him in this? I'm not sure. Like, to me, he's not as interesting by any means just doing this stuff, just being some guy, like, just having like a nine to five job sort of or in this he's an architect in sweet november he's like an ad executive kind of like a madman type guy like i don't i'm not really interested in him having these kinds of jobs in movies i'm more interested in him being the cop that's romantic comedy slash romantic movie 101 is that these are uh, it's always very successful people who really their lives are not fulfilled until they have some love yeah, it's just so strange that there's this, maybe it's not enough to be a genre, but there's the lake house, and then the other movie I was thinking of a lot was The Time Traveler's Wife, where there are these somewhat science fiction, time travel, romantic movies that came out around the same time, within a few years there's of each other. Also, and these two movies might share the same actress, The Time Traveler's Wife, yes, and then About Time with Rachel McAdams. Rachel and McAdams, Dom Hall my, my favorite. I think it's Dom Hall Gleason. I mix him up with Eddie Redmayne sometimes, but um It's not Eddie Redmayne. I think it is Dom Hall That Gleason. movie's super gross and Time Traveler's Wife is super good, so I think this kind of like well, I don't know about the movie, the book is super good. So I think this kind of falls somewhere in the middle of like the romantic time travel. I guess Terminator beats all of them though. Oh, absolutely. By all means. This is a remake of a two thousand South Korean film called Il Mare which is Italian for the sea. And in this movie, Il Mare is the name of the restaurant where they're supposed to have their date. And it's also the name of the house, the actual lake house. Wait, so it's a Korean film, but an Italian title. Yes, which is weird. Creative. I like that. It's also about a mysterious mailbox two years apart. I feel like the premise of the movie is inherently kind of creepy because Keanu's either got to wait for her and like wait for her to catch up to know that he exists or if he goes up to her before like within that first two year stretch he knows so much about her and she just doesn't know anything about him and I guess on the one hand you could be like wow that's kind of romantic but on the other hand it's kind of creepy. 
Yeah, I thought the whole premise was actually pretty dumb, like, to be honest. Like, I had kind of trouble getting over the magic mailbox. I guess since I had to, I just, you know, ended up going along with it. For my own entertainment, I, I created two timelines, though. I have a him and her timeline to sort of help me get over the overt creepiness of picking up a woman you know everything about. I sort of got it in my head that everything that Sandra Bullock did happened, but not necessarily to Keanu yet. So there were instances where they sort of changed the future in certain times, and there's hints. Which is bullshit. I know, but because that is introduced, it helped me kind of get over a bit more of the awkwardness, I suppose. Like, he makes that tree appear in her apartment complex that was never there. Uh, so I just figured because it happened to her doesn't necessarily mean that's the final way it was going to happen. Well, what's weird is that her past is different from his future, which doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense, but that is, yeah, you just summed up what I was trying to say. <laughs> and I don't need primer if we're doing time travel stuff, but I just need some <laughs> internal consistency. Yeah, exactly. I don't care what your rules are, but just keep those rules the same. When the bus hits and kills a guy, an unnamed, unknown guy in the beginning of the movie, I was like, that's obviously Keanu. And so you're waiting a whole movie for him to die and they have this sad ending. And then they just change the rules. And she's like, wait for me, wait for me. And then he shows up. So I watched the second half of this with someone and it was the scene where he stands her up for dinner. And my friend's like, oh, so Keanu's dead, right? And I'm like, well, not necessarily because she's in the future so we only see it from her perspective like Keanu has yet to experience this moment and my friend was just like no I don't buy that like the movie can't do that and on the other hand that's a really expensive restaurant they would have kicked her out after like an hour if Keanu didn't show up because they need the room I was like I guess you can't argue with that he was knocking back glasses of wine they kept piling them up on the table but they said the first one, at least, was complimentary. Yeah, because I, I, felt, I felt like it was one of those, like, Back to the Future 2 long-standing bets with Western Union. Like, was this girl ever going to show up for this uh, reservation made two oh, years yeah. in advance? Yeah, that, that hostess was definitely very confused uh, about She was that. my favorite character in the movie. I don't know if it was the same one in both, but she was just so unbelievably sassy for no reason. Yeah. Sandra Bullock and her, God, I don't know, ex-boyfriend, ex maybe future boyfriend. I don't know. The timeline is all Muddled. Morgan. Yeah, Morgan. And he's the other guy they from show um, up. Nip Tuck who doesn't become Dr. Doom from the right. That's, that's, oh. that's Nip Tuck guy, I believe. Okay. Oh, Dr. Doom for the new well, Dr. Doom. Not in, that... the, in the bad Fantastic Fours, that guy is, is Nip Tuck. But then the other Nip Tuck guy is is this this actor. Wait, which bad Fantastic Four? The, the original bad Fantastic Four or the new bad Fantastic Four? Well, there's been Four? three bad Fantastic Fours. I guess four now. Uh, no, the one with Chris Evans. The first Chris two. Chris Evans' his first run right. as a superhero. The Jessica Alba yes. ones. Jeez, this got complex. Okay. Because okay. new Doctor Doom is in New Kong Skull Island. Wait, so who is he? In, who, what's that, who is that after? He's the guy who's writing to his son. Oh, right, right, he right. He sees Kong eat the squid. Yes, Okay. So she and Morgan go to this restaurant and like, table for two, please. And the woman, the girl's like, we're booked until October. And you don't, I guess, I don't know when it is, but like, it's clearly months away. And then Keanu shows up to say, I'd like to make a reservation two years into the future, which, yeah, it's a long time. But like, if you're booked months in advance, is that crazy? Right, but yeah, but he, okay, so here's the thing. This is why I kind of like parts of this Or movie do you think that, like, that's because he, he said that before... Yes. He made that reservation before she showed up with Morgan, and so... Maybe he made the reservation before the restaurant was hot. Maybe that reservation somehow made 
the like, like a local newspaper. Like they leaked it. Like this guy just made a reservation two years in advance. This is the new spot to be. I don't think they come get they were this till October. I think it was like I mean I don't know. It probably was, but it was, I think maybe it's one of those really fancy spots. Like you have to know someone to get in. Let's see you get a table at Dorcia now, Morgan. You stupid fucking bastard. <laughs> What is weird about this movie is when we're watching Keanu movies, and I think the same thing was true for Cage, I don't usually pay attention to names, but somehow in this movie, I caught a lot of people's names. Maybe they just say them a lot. I don't know, but I feel like I was better with names in this movie than in a lot of other movies recently, and I don't know why that is. Although I do not know Keanu's brother's name, who is played by the guy who plays Desi in Girls. I don't know what his name was. He also doesn't look anything like Keanu, and the fact that they're brothers is kind of weird. No, I didn't. I couldn't remember anyone's name but Morgan for some reason, just because it was such an awkward, like, it just stood out at me and everything. But it's funny you mentioned that guy doesn't look like his brother, but I, I felt like Christopher Plummer looked like he would convincingly be Keanu's dad to me. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Christopher Plummer here he playing his, like, unapproving is father. Completely wasted. Uh, and if you want to really, if I could really just give you a keen action stretch here, Christopher oh, Plummer boy. was in Beginners, which was directed by the guy who did Thumbsucker, which was a few movies yep. ago, mm-hmm. which Keanu played a dentist in. That's a loose connection. There's another, there's a cross, there's a cross show connection, sort of. The guy who wrote this movie is going to be writing the upcoming Charlie's Angels movie. So it made me think of Shia. Especially because I think Chris said to me that Keanu's brother's playing, what did you say, it's Shia playing a low-rank who? He just had that slicked back yeah. hair, and he did. He just looked like Shia at times to me. I got a mistaken for James McAvoy, to be quite honest. Like the first scene, the first time you meet Sandra Bullock, she says that her name is Doctor Forrester, and all I could think was that she was going to send bad movies to Keanu Reeves through time, since that is the Mad Scientist in Mystery Science Theater. Couldn't take that seriously. So can we talk? How does the mailbox work? Because there's no magic mailman. There should have been. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Where's the, the fucking mailman? They just put a letter in, and they close the door, and then whatever's in there just transfers to you. I'm years. so mad there's not a magic mailman now. Like, that's where you get, like, a Harry Dean Stanton or something like that. Shit, that's so good. Okay, so, like, the mailbox raises a lot of questions, but we find out that Keanu's dad built the lake house, so he must have put that mailbox there, too, right? So is he some kind of time lord? Is he involved? I also have a theory about the dog, possibly, at one point, you talk, and it was a Let's puppy. talk about the theory about the dog, because you mentioned this. I have no idea what your theory about the dog is. Well, I like the dog as this sort of bridge between the two of them. Like, the dog belongs to both of them. First, it's Keanu's, but then it's Sandra Bullock's later on, and then it becomes Well, really, it's, it's first Sandra Bullock's, and then it shows up at Keanu's, even though it happens first. It's weird. Right. So I think that really the dog's timeline was the original and it somehow as like a puppy went through the mailbox and traveled back and is somehow using Keanu and Sandra Bullock to realign the time stream in some strange... I mean, this is where my mind was going watching this film, just trying to entertain myself. But I I just couldn't get over some kind of dog connection. Speed three, a dog's purpose to the lake house. I'm in. (laughs) You know what I wish, and I guess because this isn't a comedy in any way, this would never happen, but, like, you have a mailbox that obviously works. Like, at one point, before Keanu's dad dies, Sandra Bullock sends him this book that he's working on currently back in time to show him that, like, yes, your dad loves you. I wanted a scene where, like, she puts you know, sports wagers, sort of, you know, like Biff's, like, yeah. bringing it back, back to the future, <laughs> like, sports 
lines or whatever or results in the mailbox, he goes and places bets and then puts cash down and sends it to her in the future. There's so many things you could do with this mailbox. Don't have to be just like sending letters or sending... They only send two things in the movie. They send letters and they send books and that's it. Well, he he sends that map and she sends a scarf. Why don't you uh, ever send a picture? They didn't send a freaking picture <laughs> of each well, other. Because Keanu thinks Keanu knows what she looks like. It takes a little bit of time, but he says. But you would know instantly. Like they would know after the third yeah, letter. Like here's would. what I look like. Here's what I look like. But then we wouldn't get that great description of long brown hair, gentle, unguarded eyes. And she's like, okay, okay, you saw me. Like she hears that all the time about her gentle, unguarded eyes. You might not remember, but we saw each other. At least I saw you. You never told me how beautiful you were. Well, maybe you saw somebody else. That was a bad hair year for me. Long brown hair, gentle, unguarded eyes. Okay, 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 okay. You saw me. But I still don't know what you look like. Well, why don't we just get together in the future and you can let me know what you think i mean look suspension of disbelief is important especially i mean in fiction in general but especially in movies about magic mailboxes but like let's be realistic here if you are interacting with someone magically who is two years ahead of you in order the only things you are asking are lottery numbers what major things are happening (laughs) am i dead and like two of those would just erase this movie That's why it's so frustrating when they introduce the whole conceit where it's like they could send stuff to each other. Why even do that? It's not important at all. Like, she sends a freaking scarf and then it starts snowing like he doesn't own a scarf. And then he, like, I thought it was kind of interesting, like, when he sends the map of their date so they could walk the same thing, but that was completely unnecessary. You know, you don't have to have that as part of the movie whatsoever. Just make it letters. You could have a scene where they try to send a picture or a flower or a ring and it doesn't go anywhere. And then you could be like, oh, this mailbox has rules of some kind even if they're indescript like certainly some kind of rule exists where they can only send the letter so that that kind of ended up bothering me what's weird about this movie is that it's relatively short yeah. it's an hour 39 which when i thought about the lake house i was like oh god this is gonna be like two hours like 210 just unnecessarily long and it does feel long at times but like you have time to incorporate new themes or new rules or new anything and they're just like no we're gonna basically do the same thing for a while pad the middle and then sort of change the rules at the end and we're okay with a 99 minute yeah, movie. And the editing it suffers the editing at the beginning of this movie is really atrocious like you can tell that this was a, a director who filmed a romantic movie and then gave it to someone to edit into a time travel movie. And it has some really, really nasty edits in there. And yeah, that is a huge thing. They jump straight into the plot and then the middle just crawls when they have to do these weird contrivances to make it so that they don't just meet each other it's it's tough to get through at times the party scene in particular is what i'm really referring to well yeah because what's really weird about a romance movie is that you're setting up a movie where like they can't meet like you have to be you have to go through so many hoops for them to meet and like they've had their meet cute which is just this letter back and forth but to actually get them together you either need to a wait two years or B, have Keanu basically re-explain everything he knows about her or figure out a way to like say hey I know who you are like you don't know me but like I know you it's an obstacle that it just doesn't necessarily work yeah I think that's why it kind of peters out because it ends up becoming 
changing the future, right? Making him not get hit by the bus. Like, she comes to realize that he is dead when she tries to rent the lake house, right? And brother's like, oh, I got, like, you know, an accident. And then she's like, the epiphany, like, oh, he was the guy I helped that day that got hit by the bus. And so she writes the letter and this and that. And it's more like towards the end there, it's just about how can we just direct this film the quickest way possible to get them to be together in the end. Uh, it almost feels like it wasn't thinking of that while it was going. It was just trying to be a fun, sappy, romantic movie and wasn't really concerned with like the logic of what was going on at any time per se, but just was like, oh, we we could do this thing where we're playing with time and we've done it a few times through the movie and it kind of worked where we show that they could change minor events. So let's, let's go along with that. And he lives, but that's so weird too, because like he gets to the corner and he's about to cross the street and then he just keeps reading and he's, and, and the letter is like, wait, two, <laughs> two more years yeah. or something. And then it's just like two years later, they show up at the lake house and everything's like, he didn't, pursue any relationships during those two years he didn't have any adventure like it's just well, very I strange. feel like the movie not defends itself but sets itself up that like that's gonna happen because at one point they're like talking about a date and Sandra Bullock's like you're gonna have to wait two years he's like I don't care I'll wait like that's fine and so you know that he as a character is okay waiting but it's in those two years and he looks super depressed at that New Year's Eve party like he just looks alone and like I guess maybe because he knows he's only a couple weeks away possibly but to uh you know six weeks later or whatever he get hit by that bus and then he's wait another two years after that so ah man is it also supposed to be two timelines converging at the end of the movie because sandra bullock literally just left talking to keanu's brother who was like yeah he he's dead so has he come back to life in this timeline and she's god and she's changed everything or is this like is he driving well, into so her timeline so she's talking to his brother and the brother's like he died two years mm-hmm. ago today and so it's now a race against time. I this It doesn't make sense. But she's got to get to the mailbox and mail him a letter to tell him to wait. And he has to read that letter before he leaves to go to the city to meet her. Well, no, just before he crosses the street. Because he starts reading the letter and is like, oh, you're going to be at the square. But he still, so has to, he, gets... he still has to pick up the letter from the mailbox is what I'm saying. Like, it's not like you put it in the mailbox and he just gets it in his pocket. No, because it wasn't – it was already – it was one of the letters that he put inside the box in the attic so he like goes up to the attic and rechecks some old letter and sees that it's changed right that's what i thought happened is he and then he rereads it at the street corner and it says like wait two years and he looks up at her and decides i'll wait and walks well because the movie is so clear about saying he died two years ago today in in the rules that it sets up she would have to mail a letter at that day for him to get it that day but she can't go back in time but it's from his perspective like she's sitting on so like in a sense like they are playing god in a way they do keep him from dying yeah so well that doesn't make any sense the time travel logic does not i've never seen a movie that like insults its audience's intelligence but like then is also really fucking stupid itself maybe that's a sign that like it's not insulting us it just doesn't know what it's doing and it comes across as insulting but just like oh this like idiot movie doesn't know what it's doing and it's not it's not like attacking us personally it's just it's just stupid time travel logic can get you know hard like it can get confusing to write it can get hard to follow and this movie seems to have lost a grip on itself in that way right like it it thinks it's following its own rules but it starts breaking them and and sort of ignoring them and setting up new ones at certain times and just what started as a magic mailbox is just like kind of gone out of control but like there's no excuse because this is a remake you have a movie that already worked 
ostensibly better than this, how are you messing up your own rules? I just gotta say, the tree is incredibly stupid. Can we talk about the tree for a second? He plants a baby tree, and then in immediately in Sandy's timeline, it's a full-grown tree, which is above where she was getting rained on. It's so stupid. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that is a, a sequence designed for being romantic. I mean, there's no... Like, that is, like, just to be magical, right? <laughs> like, I, there's no reasoning behind any of that, really. It's I just think, like, someone thought that was, like, a cool idea. If he planted it two feet to the left, she's dead. She's just suddenly part of the tree. <laughs> Is that accurate, though? Because if you planted two feet to the left, the tree always would have been two feet to the left, and she just wouldn't have walked there. The specifically shows it appearing. Well, that leads to my question is, does she ever have a memory of there not being a tree there, right? Like, according to her, that tree's always been there after that thunderclap, and boom, the tree's there. So her mind, her memory has also been altered. Well, so, okay, so there's a TV show that was based on a movie from, I think, around this time called Frequency that just aired its first season on CW, and that's about Mm. a radio that can go, it sort of communicates back and forward in time 20 years and that main character is trying to save her dad and at least in the show i think in the movie like there's genders swapped a little bit but in the show she's trying to save her dad from getting killed on the job but she's able to remember the original timeline and she's also able to remember everything that she does when she changes and so everybody else around her only remembers the current past but she remembers both and, but, like, the show does a good job of saying this is what she's able to see, this is what she's able to remember, this is what everybody else can. Here, the movie's just like, I don't know, who cares? Just Let's just move on. Yeah, and here's the thing. If this movie was remotely decent otherwise, this stuff would be excusable. But it's not. There's not enough of a movie here to forgive or to just allow these moments to be symbolic or metaphorical. Everything else is just kind of not great, so this stuff stands out even more. Yeah, I think this would have worked much better as a straight-up romantic comedy if they had pushed the funny further. Because there's light moments here. There's moments of levity that work. There are things. I mean, just the freaking idea of the mailbox is is you know hilarious. Like they should have ran with that. If they were gonna remake this, like remake it into a comedy, like do it in a different genre. I just really feel like because they take it so seriously and because you know the music is just so overbearing with reminding you that this is supposed to be real and romantic and like this is so lovely and everything it's like i can't really accept that because of how ridiculous a magic mailbox is that i'm having just too hard a time following it as a straight-up romantic drama like it needs to be a comedy in my mind and it would have probably worked a lot better if it was a comedy but i i think it could have i think if there were real stakes it could have they could have done romantic frequency i actually liked the moments like that i thought the moment where she sends the book was actually quite well done and in her voiceover which for the most part the voiceovers are terrible she seems to say it with like this urgency and almost like she was breaking a rule but like that wasn't established like her own personal rule and like if there were some rules that were a established and b they decided to break to make it feel like there were stakes and there was any kind of dramatic moment i think it could have worked the exact opposite way too but what winds up happening it's just nothing works yeah there's there's moments they're few and far between. It's just really, they play it really safe, it feels. It just feels like they're not taking a lot of 
long shots or big chances. I really wonder, and now I'm just putting myself into Tobin's shoes from something's gotta give, does this work as a romantic movie to people who love these kind of movies? I can sort of see on something's gotta give. I would rather rewatch this than that. I can sort of see why people would like that movie. I don't think this works, even if you're like, this is my genre, I'm gonna love these things. Aside from, like, you know, people who love this movie for one reason or another, I don't think, on a whole, people would be satisfied with the love story here. Because you get, what, two scenes of them together, right? Yeah. And then at the very, very end, you get a happy ending. But that's that's the romance, right? The is the idea that they haven't seen each other, that they there is no physical contact. Like, that is what is building all of the tension, the sexual tension and all of, all of it. It's like when they finally meet and realize who they are, like, it's just going to explode. Like, at the end of the movie, they walk into the lake house together, hand in hand, and it fades to black. But you know that Shaq is going to be rocking all night. <laughs> like, they are going to be sipping Miss McGill's tea yeah. until the cows come home. There are more movies like that. It's kind of like a sleepless in Seattle. You've got mail, very almost very literally. This is the movie version of Persuasion, that Jane Austen novel that they reference explicitly. They're like, hey, we're going through the same thing here, which Chris and I have talked about recently, not on podcasts, about how Logan does the same thing with comparing itself to Shane, and Captain Fantastic does the same thing comparing itself to Lolita. It's like all these movies are like, hey, look how smart we are. We're going to compare it to this like, classic piece of literature or whatever, and like, in case you dummies don't get it, this is what's going on here. And you see, it's important because this great writer that's beloved, you know, they wrote the same story, and don't you yeah, get it's it? It's a real Aren't sign of like a movie that doesn't have confidence in itself, especially since I think they introduce crime and punishment as a novel before they introduce the Jane Austen one. So just like, just stick with that, man. Make that be the book that he has to run to her on. And, and again, another moment that I actually liked. I liked the misconnections aspects. Um, but yeah, like it's just the, the book isn't even really about that in this way. It's when she explains the theme. It's like it's a very base reading of that novel too. It's just uh, yeah. I think you guys are actually convincing me that I liked it less than I did. Well, what makes it even worse is at first that book is just a prop to test him, right? She's like, I'm going to leave this book at the train station. If you really exist, you'll mail it to me or save it or something, right? And so later at the party, he's like, oh, do you read Jane Austen? Yada, yada. So it could have really been like any book. It didn't, you know, I don't really, I feel like it was almost an afterthought where it's like, oh, uh, you know, is there any way to sort of lace this with any deeper meaning on any layer here? And it's like, well, we have this book. Like, I'll, all right, well, like, let's, is there any book that kind of is going through the same themes as this movie <laughs> It's like I could just see it being sort of an insert at some point to maybe beef it up a little bit, beef up the script. Especially if you're saying like it doesn't really shout itself out as loud as it thinks it does. If this movie was longer, I would have guessed that that entire middle party scene was just like studio mandated to get them together earlier than they should have been. Like it's so it's just like such a limp, unnecessary scene. And they are it feels like they have no chemistry because Sandy is playing it like this is just some guy that I'm meeting right now. And Keanu is playing it like I'm in love with this girl, but don't want to seem crazy because I can't tell her that I'm a time traveling mailbox man or whatever. And I hate it. And the dance goes on for like three minutes. What actually did kind of work for me, which I thought was a little clever, and it kind of goes back to like how most of this movie is very poorly or 
strangely edited. Like there's some weird Angley Hulk type split screen stuff going on at one point. But the stuff I did like that, even though it made no sense, was when they were kind of talking to each other through time. They, they were sharing the screen, but they weren't sharing that time and place, right? So they were like reading each other's letters back and forth, but it seemed as if they were having a conversation. And I thought that was an interesting way to get them to share the screen and seem like they were together. Well, actually, in reality, they were in the film that in the story, they weren't together. They were two years apart. Yeah, I like that. It's just, I don't know how you can do a better way, but like you have to do that. Otherwise, it would be unbearable. Well, they had boring, this whole you know? hideous fucking house. Like this lake house didn't have to look like that. I assumed that they were going to use that architecture and that layout to block scenes interestingly with them both in like different timelines. Again, interacting more than just in that one right. park scene. And then they just don't. And what's weird is that I that know. house was built for this movie. That house didn't exist. So they could have built it in any way that they wanted to. That is weird because they would have sworn that they found that house or someone was inspired to. I was wondering, like someone, maybe not this, but the original. Maybe there was a weird house some guy saw and wrote the original. And then for this movie, they found like the strangest house that they could that actually was standing. Because, yeah, because you would figure they would use the whole glass house thing somehow thematically, but it never really seems to, to come up. Because they built they built the yeah. house for the movie and then they tore yes. it down when it was done. It, uh, just to have a house that looked unbelievably stupid. I mean, I think they're supposed to think it's memorable, but it's just hideous. And there's that point at the beginning where the girl's like, "Why would you buy that? Oh, this is the most annoying girl. Why would you buy that house? There's no privacy." Uh, and I know I sound like a frog in a blender, but that's what this woman sounds like. What's even stranger is that his dad built this house, and his dad is supposed to be some kind of Frank Lloyd Wright type of architect. Like, oh, you mean Frank Lloyd whoever? <laughs> yeah, oh, he's just Frankie to me. But uh, yeah, like they build his dad up as like the shit and he's turning out this? Like this is like one of his, I mean, this is what he said he built that he was like unrestricted. He's like, I did that. That just like flew through him or whatever. He didn't, it just wasn't for money. Well, that house is bananas. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> would you hire that guy to build you a house or a building? I wouldn't want to live in that house because it's, it's a house that's floating over a lake supported by beams. It's like a piece. It's more supposed to be like a, like a structure of art, right? Like a giant statue you could walk around inside. If both movies didn't explicitly say who built them, I would say it was the same architect as the house in Trespass. <laughs> yeah, that's a Cage Club crossover reference. Uh, it's just hideous. Oh, are you ready for another Cage Club crossover connection real briefly? Do you know who was originally, who was the first choice for the Keanu role? I do, and I think it would have worked better. Take a guess, Mike. Cage Club crossover, and it's not Nicolas Cage. It would be very serendipitous if he was cast in this role. <laughs> Although he also has really dead eyes, and I don't know if it would work. Oh, not John Cusack. John Cusack. Oh, Boy, this would have been a horror film. Yeah. It would I don't think it would have worked at all. Like the lake house at Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> More like it. Oh come on, there was a moment when John Cusack was like a good boyfriend. You know, there was this say anything. Yeah, the eighties and the nineties, not two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in the very beginning of the movie, Keanu's girlfriend, Mona, I think, is yelling. I don't know why this is shot the way it's shot, but Keanu's like a foreman at a construction site, and they're building these houses in development. And he and his girlfriend are having, like, a yelling conversation where she's, like, way down the hill, and he's on top of the hill. And she she's like, you didn't tell me that you bought a house. Like, I don't know. It's, it's all weird, weird things. And he says something like, I never get sick. And is that only set up? Because I was like, oh, he's going to get sick 
and die and not be able to meet Sandra Bullock. But that's not what it is. I think that's only set up for that one time that Sandra Bullock writes to him and says, yeah. with the scarf, she's like, hey, snowstorm, unexpected, stay warm or whatever. And then he lets out like this really terrible fake sneeze. And then oh, the I camera pushes in really far <laughs> to him with a blank stare out the window. I like, so oh my God, it's shot. snowing. It was it was unbelievably unintentionally funny. I laughed really hard. But like, was that I never get sick line only set up to yes. pay off with that sneeze? Which is crazy. That woman is doing that terrible voice and being extremely annoying. And then she comes back like 45 minutes later and is just completely normal. She might as well be a different character. Yeah, with her new boots, too. I thought that was the whole point of the scene was just like she wasn't dressed for the construction site. And later Keanu didn't notice like she obviously wants Keanu and he just kind of isn't into her is what I took it as. I thought they were dating. I didn't think they were dating. I thought they worked together and she wanted to start dating him. But he his head isn't in that space right now. He just bought the lake house that his dad, who doesn't approve of his life choices, built. So like he's obviously going through some shit. I don't think that he's thinking straight. I feel like they were clearly setting up that kind of character who like uh, is in rom-coms a lot who is starts the movie with one of the protagonists, but like doesn't get them in their job or like doesn't care about them enough. Let's bring her up again. Rachel McAdams in um, Midnight in Paris, like that exact kind of character. And then they just just don't like they're not together and they're never together and Keanu and this horribly annoying woman just it's just there's nothing it's just another completely dropped point I feel like there was a whole subplot of this girl then dating Morgan because yeah. she's criticizing Keanu she's like I can't believe you didn't even notice my new boots and then Keanu chases Jack who runs the Sandra Bullock's house and the first thing Morgan says is hey nice boots like oh yeah they're gonna bang and then like you know that night right Morgan catches Keanu and Sandra Bullock kissing and I felt like there was a whole other romance subplot that obviously doesn't have anything to do with our main characters but like why would you set that up to have zero payoff at all yeah that's a great question because i picked up on that too it felt like obvious to me because morgan catches keanu and her and sandra Bullock kissing and that girl is with morgan as if they came out together it definitely seemed like something more was going on but maybe they're just like hey how can we pad out the side of this story in any way like is there anything we could do to make the scene at all more interesting or have anything else maybe going they just- on punched the Korean script into like Google Translate and filmed that as was (laughs) (laughs) oh beautiful speaking of Google Translate there is a fun IMDB trivia fact that I found for this movie that for Keanu movies we don't really have a lot of these kind what I'm about to read is something that I would normally find in the Zac Efron trivia section which is probably written by like a 14 year old girl that thinks this is interesting but it's it's so matter-of-factly written that it just it makes me so happy so here's a fact verbatim about this movie the lake house used was located on maple lake a small and well-known haunted fishing lake located in willow springs illinois yes you know this well-known haunted lake that everybody knows about that's where they shot this movie like that's not a fact like, if it was a fact that it was haunted, that means it's a fact that ghosts exist. Speaking of haunted lakes and ghosts and things, I've never seen this movie, but this movie reminded me, the, the lake house reminded me of the movie with Mark Ruffalo, where he falls in love with maybe Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, and he sees her ghost or hears her. I don't know the title, but I've seen it from beginning to end. 
just like heaven. I've always wondered how that movie can possibly work. Like, the two years of part-time travel, like, you could figure out, okay, like, just meet up two years later. Like, that's how it's going to go. Cool. Um, the one where, like, Reese Witherspoon's a ghost, it's like, you know, does Mark Ruffalo kill himself at the end? Like, and I don't actually want to know. I just want to think about it forever. It's like a reverse City of Angels. That would have been a much better ending. I'll give you that much. I have no idea. Oh, man, I want to see that movie now. I want to see more. I want to see more love stories with ghosts in them. Yeah, Ghost is the classic. Ghost is a good one, actually. I think that still holds up, and not just because I've been watching a lot of Whoopi Goldberg movies. Yeah, I don't know. You're on a, a real weird kick lately. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Stay tuned for the podcast on Eddie. <laughs> oh boy, and uh, Theodore Rex, and the Little Rascals, and all the Sister Act movies. Oh, boy. Roger Ebert gave this movie, not Sister Act, he gave The Lake House three and a half out of four stars, which is bonkers. Look, he was great, but he wasn't perfect. I wonder what else he had to watch that day. <laughs> he was like, you know what? The Lake House is a three and a half star movie after the day I've had. Or maybe him and Chaz were like watching it together and really just like brought him closer. Who knows? I don't know. The only other interesting fact about this movie, and both interesting and fact are in very heavy quotations, this is the first movie to be released simultaneously on DVD, HD DVD, and Blu-ray disc. Congratulations, The Lake House. Yep. This movie cost $40 million to make. Does anybody want to guess how much money it made worldwide? Yeah. 20 of that went to their salaries, and then another 10 went to The Lake House being built. Yeah, I mean, but there's there's no other special effects, really. Dog trainer. I am. I know the answer to this. I'm shocked that it actually was a success. I remember this movie being very popular, like being like the lake house. You have to see, like you know, the romantic movie of the year and everything. I remember the advertising permeating television. I think it made a lot. It probably made you know upwards to like a hundred, hundred twenty. Nice. It made 112 worldwide. It only made fi- it made 52 domestic, another 62 million foreign, so 114.8 worldwide. It got that built-in Korean market, sure. right? Because it's like a remake of one of their movies, so it's like, yo, maybe they had a lot of traffic from What's that. also weird about this movie that I totally forgot until I was looking at Box Office Mojo, this movie is rated PG. Whoa. Yeah, why not? Well, yeah, there's nothing really highly suggestive sexually at any moment. Like, it's all very safe and tender. That's, yeah, I never thought of that. Well, there is the one, there is some stuff in the hospital, I guess, which could give it, like, a PG-13. If they showed the bus accident, maybe a little closer, a little more up close and personal, but they don't. I feel like we haven't had a PG Keanu movie in a really long time. I don't even know what the last one would have been. Little Buddha? That was a long time ago. I mean, even Hardball, that wasn't even... No, that was originally R, and they scaled that down, yeah. If, you know, with minor... Let's say they don't even change the script very much. Is this a better movie if he just, like, gets City of Angels at the end? You mean if he dies? Oh, yeah, the, 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 the speed bus wins. Well, it's definitely a different ending. It's not a PG movie anymore. I don't know. I, I kind of like that it decided, you know what, it's a fairy tale. They're going to live happily ever after. Like, in the end, to me, I think I finally realized when it was over the type of movie it was. It's a fairy tale. And, you know, how could I have known? I didn't, there's, you know, unless you re- literally have, like, a prince and a princess in the land far away, I'm not going to really pick up on that until it really, you know, until the end, I guess. In, in this case, I didn't realize it, but. That's what I feel. Mm. Like, this is straight up just a fairy tale. Whatever isn't logical doesn't matter. And I think that also accounts to why he survives, or ends up living, or comes back from the dead before he dies, which is kind of cool in a time travel way when you think about it, like, the way they saved his life. 
it's kind of cool if you're like okay with them breaking the rules. Um, I thought the only two really good acting moments in this movie were when both of them had to cry close up. Um, I think Keanu did a realistic job uh, when he got the book, and I think the the close up of her face as the brother says she died two years ago is not only like one of the most well composed shots in the film, but she like reminded me there that like why she is an actress that I tend to like think is the best thing of a lot of the movies she's in. What I realized was uh, how much I really like Sandra Bullock as an actress. Like, yeah, I've never seen this movie before. Like, I just watched The Net recently, and I'm really getting back into her career yeah. a lot. I loved her in Gravity. That's the thing I just can remember most recently that I've seen her in. You can watch a movie like The Blind Side, which is just around the same time, and that's like so. Like, the book is all about you know football tactics and stuff, and sort of you know this upbringing. The movie is just like, it could be so ham-fisted and just like sappy and, you know, this story of this white family saving, saving this poor black boy. But like, she does something in that movie that makes that movie good. Like, it's it's weird, but she's great. The book, that movie sucks, but she, yes, she is, she no, is No, no. At least comparatively she, to what it could have been. I was about to compare it to Crash, but isn't she also in Crash? I don't know. Well, I, I actually felt like I could feel their chemistry, like her and Keanu. They felt good together on screen. Like, there's that one shot at the party, which is a really long take, where it's just the two shot of them sitting on the porch on the steps. And I was, I was saying to myself, like, this is going on for a long time. Like, what's happening here? It's a long take in the middle of this movie. Uh, I mean, the movie's pretty well composed, and it's, it's looked, it's not you know too shabby to watch. Like, it's okay to watch. But that one particular shot kind of just made me stop and watch it a little closer and go, wow, like, I, I, I'm buying them together again. I think, like, that chemistry actually is there. And I think that's part of the problem with this movie, though, and again, part of why I didn't remember that Sandra Bullock can be good until that moment at the very end was because so much of the movie, they're not together, and so much of the movie is that voiceover flirting that is really, really bad. I'm a doctor dedicated to curing the sick. At least trying to. I'm an architect. I like to build. And while I wouldn't say my current project is ideal, it allows me to be here, in this place. And that's enough for now. But tell me something. If you're working in a hospital in Chicago now, where were you before, in my time? Two years ago in your time, I was working in internal medicine in Madison. Tell me about the future. What's it like in the year 2006? the world's pretty much the same. Of course, we all dress in shiny metal jumpsuits and drive flying cars, and no one talks anymore because we can read each other's minds. <laughs> but the, the truth is, man, from the past, not much has really changed in 2006. Yeah, that feels like a cheap way of getting away with voiceover, is having them read their letters to each other. I feel like it worked okay when they're talking through time because they're literally talking, like, on screen. And that's supposed to just be an artistic way of getting this across. Like, you can't just have them... You can't have the entire movie be reading voiceover or, and, or anything, and you can't have the whole movie being the time-talky thing. It just felt like a way of trying to get around voiceover... And you don't ever want to have too much of that and, in your movie. And they're writing stuff that's like these two people who have never met flirting. And like you have to write that with 
a layer of awkwardness. So now you're asking these two actors to basically read out your OK Cupid conversations and just try to imagine how anyone in the history of acting could ever make that sound like good or convincing. And yeah, it just it's it comes off really cringeworthy a lot of the time. There's also times when they're like talking back and forth and it works and I agree with you, Mike, that it works overall, but there's times where if you think about it as like they're writing a letter and they're putting a letter in and like even like they're both sitting by the mailbox, right? And they're like just writing and putting it in. At one point she's like, Alex? And he says, Kate? And it's like, are they writing letters that are just one word back and forth? Like that seems strange. Yeah, I wondered about that too. Like, were they just passing love notes? Because it felt like they were IMing each other. I was just gonna say another place you got mail works so much better. So yeah, so I don't, I don't uh, have anything else to say about the lake house. I think I somehow had even less to say about the watcher. No, that's okay. So. Well, yeah, because the, you, I remember in past episodes, you were like, "Why am I always on the shortest episodes?" But this one's actually sort of normal length. Yay. So good job. Well, there's way, way, way less to talk about with The Watcher. I'm just I'm shocked that we were able to have an episode of that movie. But the only thing I really noticed that stood out is that throughout Keanu Club, there's been a real, there's been kind of a dog connection. And in this, he has a dog. It made me think of John Wick. It made me think of his big hot dog stuff and everything that we've seen. Yeah. So another Keanu dog connection here. Like I was trying to think about how movies that I don't like could have been better. And I guess maybe you'd have to cut some of the dad stuff out or change it some way. But um, if these are like slightly older characters, not super old, but like 50s maybe. I wonder if that would have worked a little like maybe they're widows even. Like I wonder if that would have worked a little better because and again, part of it was the editing. But right from Jump Street, like there's these two people, both of their jobs rely on counting on the laws of our universe one is a doctor and one makes buildings with math and like physics and both of them just kind of go oh yeah magic mailbox by the five minute mark and i just wonder if tonally how they reacted to things that were happening i just i wonder if they were slightly older if if they would have hit a little bit better and you also have two beautiful people who were totally okay being single for two years while they wait it's like there's a good movie here but we didn't get it in this timeline we'll have to write a letter we'll have to we'll, we'll have to message someone on the magic letterbox and see if their timeline got a better version of the lake house well yeah because I, I, I do think that like keanu and sandra bullock in a movie like this could work it's just that if you wanted to tell this kind of story around a mailbox you basically couldn't keep anything else about the story other than maybe the dog keep the dog the dog's fine I just don't think Keanu can do romantic stuff. And I was thinking about it because he's like, now he's like an action guy, you know? And I was trying to think of other action guys who crossed over to romantic stuff well. And I was like, Gerard Butler, fuck no. Ryan Reynolds, like, a little bit. And then I was like, you know, Tom Cruise has, like, never really done, like, a romantic... Like, he just doesn't Jerry do Maguire. really. Yeah, like, Jerry Maguire's the only one. And, like, so much of it he nailed based on his charisma. And same kind of, like, when Ryan Reynolds does it, again, Sandy connection. Uh, it sucks, but, like, again, that charisma. And Keanu just doesn't have that. It never felt like he wanted to fall in love at all. He was just going for this ride with this magic mailbox, which, in all fairness, probably would have done, too, if I found a magic mailbox. Well, I think Ryan Reynolds and also not quite action, but McConaughey are similar to that. But they also they mo they went from romance to not romance, not the other way around. You know what I mean? Cage is by no means really an action star. I mean, he was in three action movies. In two, he was basically just sort of like a normal guy, and then he was insane in Face Off. But like he in romance movies is great. 
And I think that, I mean, we've talked about this on other Keanu podcasts before, but I feel like Keanu blows Cage away in terms of the action genre. But pretty much in any other genre, give me Cage over him, like, no question. Yeah, I feel like Keanu can work in the romance at times, but just not entirely. And yeah, he drops it here and there. I think where Cage beats him out most of all is... Cage can sort of drop his hard edge at times and be really vulnerable and soft and sort of invite you in a little more. And I never really feel like Keanu drops his guard in his movies. I think Keanu can and does do that kind of vulnerability, but only in these very brief, like solitary, quiet, dignified moments of like crying over a loved one's death. But I, I again, I like I don't know if that's acting for Keanu. Like, that's the thing, just based on, like, his past. But, like, when he does it, John Wick, the moment in this movie, I'm sure one or two others, um, I think it works quite well, actually. Yeah, just not quite here. I think Keanu could pull off a movie where he's, like, about to be a widow and the whole movie is about, like, his his like his wife. They could have done the prequel to John Wick where it's just his wife dying, I think. Like, that's the kind of emotion that he does, not like the I'm going to fall in love kind. Sort of like the end of Sweet November. You know, if this was Sweet November 2 and he was taking care of his dead wife or de- dying girlfriend. That's why I'm that kind of interested in this movie that's coming out this year, To the Bone, where it's him and Lily Collins and it's like kind of a love story, but she's anorexic and I'm getting the sense that she's probably going to die or she's not doing well. And I want to see him in that because that's kind of a different thing. That's like what we're saying that we think he could be good at. So I'm sort of optimistic for that, but that's also... 10 years down the line, so he's gonna be 54, and Lily Collins is, like, 24? So, I don't know if they're romantic. I don't know. We'll find out. I feel like there's still time to get what we want from him. Like, I feel like he still has time to turn in, like, a really good romantic performance, if that's what if that's what we're looking for. Those films are still down the line for him. I don't think he's gonna stop being cast in those types of roles, necessarily. I feel like he's in, like, the Liam Neeson point of his career, where he's going to play, like, silent action dudes, or he's going to play, I mean, if Neon Demon is any sign, he's going to play just creeps. Well, yeah, because we've seen him in a couple things recently where he's just, like, physically powerful and, like, a presence, and he's kind of another creep in The Bad Batch, which is coming out soon. I do think that, you know, if if we can get Jack Nicholson in Something's Gotta Give at that age as a romantic lead, we could see something like Keanu in that kind of thing, maybe. You know what I want? I want a movie where, okay, so here's like my dream scenario, I guess, is Keanu's daughter is dating Cage's son, and they don't like each other, and they live next door, and you just do like the whole sort of riff on Romeo and Juliet. I want Daddy's Home, but instead of Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, it's Cage and Keanu. Mm, there we go. <laughs> or or your movie. Either way. I just want them yeah, I want them to fight each other. Oh ooh, but Shia is Cage's son. I can ah, that. There you go. Or brother? Could he be like Uncle Shia? <laughs> interesting. Interesting, interesting. And there's a monkey involved somehow. And and Zach Efron is just like the- Oh no that that's what it is. That's what it is. That's why it's progressive, because it's Shia and Zach Efron there and they're gay. And uh Cage is okay with it and Keanu is not okay with it. That's a wacky comedy about becoming. And then at the end, Cage and Keanu. Yeah, and then at the end, Cage and Keanu get together, and it's like. Whoa, no, I don't know. Actually, I I scrapped this idea. (laughs) No longer like this idea. Cannot get behind this idea. That would that would shatter too many of my. That would that would you know all my slash fiction I've been writing about exactly that scenario. It can't happen. 
you know, I said you can't, like, you never meet your heroes. Like, you never have your ultimate fantasy fulfilled because then you'll just never get it up again in your life. Borges and Keanu yeah. kiss just once delicately. Literally be blowing your load, yeah. I would also be okay with, like, a, a heat where it's Pacino and De Niro, it's Cage and Keanu, and they have one scene in the middle be like, that's it. Like, that's, that's what we've been waiting for. I'm genuinely surprised they've never crossed paths, honestly. Well, they almost did in, like, well, I mean, they wouldn't have crossed paths, but in Constantine, that was supposed to be Cage instead of uh, Keanu. And that was supposed to be directed by Tarsem oh, Singh. Oh, shit. And then Tarsem Singh was like, I can't do it with Cage. And then Cage dropped out, and then Tarsem Singh oh, dropped man, out. Oh, man, that's a world I want to slide into. Well, we were talking a while ago on the Devil's Advocate episode about, like, the future tech that we want is where you can see any movie with any actors in them. And so that's all we want. And so I want to see a Constantine with Cage directed by Tarsem Singh. Oh, I would have taken Devil's Advocate with Cage in the Pacino role. We were also talking about a Devil's Advocate reboot with a Keanu in the Pacino role and a Zac Efron in the Keanu role. Oh, man. Too many circles in in the Cage Club Podcasting Network universe. Too many potential crossovers. And none of them are happening. Yeah. For the best, I'm sure. Chris, any last thoughts about The Lake House? It would be cool if I got on one more good Keanu, but spoilers, I won't. No, you're on one, I think. You're a backup, at least on one. I'll be joining you for Knock Knock. You will be on there for Knock Knock, that's true. I'm just assuming it's shit. You're not gonna like it, but it's very pretty girls. Do I get to see any Keanu Wiener? No. You do in a scanner darkly. Oh, really? It's animated, but it's nice. there. Good to know. Frontal. Gonna pop that on tonight. Mike, any last thoughts about The Lake House? Well, I could understand why this was pretty well-liked movie. You know, it's romantic and all that. I mean, I see the market for it, but it's not the kind of sci-fi that I like. And it's not really the kind of romance stuff that I like. I guess I, I don't really like a lot of modern romance stuff to begin with. I just, for me, this one just didn't work. And I mean, watch it if you want to, but it doesn't really have my stamp. I don't think it has any of our stamps, it's, but you know. It's like almost a hangover movie, but the timeline fuckery is just a little too much for a movie like this, uh, so I can't even recommend it for that. Nope. For other movies that we can recommend, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. Also, now again cast. You can find it. It's linked on our homepage at cageclub.me. You can follow all of our hosts on Twitter. Find those kind of things at facebook.com slash cageclub, cageclub.me, along with all the other shows that we've done, all the nows and again, all the Cage Club, Shia, Zac Efron, everything that we mentioned. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Chris Mattiello, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Two years from tomorrow.